Hey, if you're a workplace coach or work in HR or anyone working with challenging conflict situations at work, we've created a coaching method that any coach can learn. The goal of New Ways for Work Coaching is to help employees or whoever is taking it to learn personal relationship skills for productive relationships. Essentially, it gives employees a chance to learn new skills and to change before big decisions are made about their employment. Sometimes they're just lacking skills and New Ways will teach them. If you'd like to know more about it, we offer our New Ways for Work coaching training two to three times a year. And these trainings are a combination of on-demand, which you can watch 24-7, and Zoom training with Sherilyn Knapp and Bill Eddy on the on-demand portions. You'll find the link for this in the show notes below. Sign up at highconflictinstitute.com forward slash upcoming dash courses or email us at info at highconflictinstitute.com. Welcome to It's All Your Fault on True Story FM, the one and only podcast dedicated to helping you identify and deal with the most challenging human interactions, those that are with people with high-conflict personalities. I'm Megan Hunter, and I'm here with my co-host, Bill Eddy. Hi, everybody. And we are the co-founders of the High Conflict Institute in San Diego, California. In today's episode, we talk about the much-requested topic about communicating with high-conflict people. But first, we have a few quick reminders. First, we'd love to hear from you about your high-conflict situations, if if you've been involved in interactions with someone with a high-conflict personality or been targeted with blame. Send us your questions, and we just might discuss them on the show. You can submit them by clicking the Submit a Question button at our website, highconflictinstitute.com slash podcast, emailing us at podcast at highconflictinstitute.com, or dropping us a note on any of our socials. Please know that we are not diagnosing anyone in our discussions, merely discussing patterns of behavior and how to improve interactions and manage relationships with high-conflict people. You can find all the show notes and links at highconflictinstitute.com slash podcast as well. Please give us a rate or review and tell your friends, colleagues, or family about us, especially those who are dealing with a high-conflict situation. We're so grateful. And now, on with today's episode. more. That sounds frustrating. I'll pay attention. That sounds hard. I respect that. I'm paying attention. So I've just given a lot of little phrases that contain just three little words. So what are the commonalities of those? They're all statements that show empathy and attention and respect. These little phrases are what we refer to as ear statements, statements that convey empathy, attention, and respect. They're used to calm people. We're focusing on them in this episode because it seems to be one of the most challenging dilemmas when dealing with either high-conflict people or anyone who is upset. And in, you know, This day and age, especially in this last couple of years with the pandemic, we've seen conflict really increase and people being so divisive and tribalistic and um, just really divisive. So um, we're talking about that today. Now, in my quest for my um, 
long sought after PhD in reality television, I've been watching a show called Sister Wives for several seasons. Um, and we could translate translate that to, yes, it's been years. <laughs> it's a show that has followed one man named Cody, whose religious convictions are such that he believes in plural marriage. He has four wives and around 20-some kids. In the current season that just wrapped up, we witnessed the unraveling of one of the marital relationships with his wife, Christine, with the final episode revealing that after two-plus decades of marriage, they've divorced and she's moved to another state. So she tells viewers her side in this final episode, and he tells his. Both agree that she was always unhappy being a sister-wife, you know, sharing one husband, and it's been really, really hard for her. At one point, Cody makes a statement, and I'm paraphrasing it here, um, as he's speaking with the interviewer. It was some, went something like this. I wonder if things would be different now if I have just spoken to her with empathy all those years ago. And, you know, my reaction is kind of like, oh, duh. <laughs> um, you know, she was suffering. She was struggling. She was sacrificing a lot. She just needed her husband to speak to her with empathy, genuine empathy. So, Bill, let's talk about your statements. And uh, we'll come back to the sister wives conversation. But first, uh, let's talk about what ear is and how it works and, and how it calms people in upsetting conversations. Well, it seems to me that the way our brains work, that we really pay a lot of attention to tone of voice um, and facial expressions, and that that gives us cues as to how to feel. And especially the first two years of life, infants are following their parents' tone of voice and facial expressions to see, you know, is this a friendly person that just walked in or somebody I should be scared of or whatever. So we're kind of hardwired for calming emotions. And so when someone gives us an ear statement, and that can be just empathy, as you were describing, or attention, I'll pay attention tell me more or respect. I really respect how hard you're working or, you know, your dedication to solving this conflict. And that tends to calm people. And we find within about 30 seconds that our emotions are contagious. So what seems to happen is someone's upset. Let's say they're angry at us and then they say something angry. Our brain says fight back. The amygdala gets hooked. And, and our mirror neurons want to kick in and say, fight back. But if you switch yourself inside and give them an ear statement that shows some empathy, attention, or respect, and, and focuses on what's under their anger, often people calm down immediately. It's like, I'm not your enemy. I want to understand. Let's see if we can solve this together. So it seems like it has a lot to do with, with our brain functions and how we work and probably how we've survived as human beings for all these centuries. Yeah, so those going back to those three uh, those three little words, and it doesn't have to be three little words, but it can be as few as that, right? So tell me more, right? That calms the brain almost instantly. And if you can't think of anything else to say when someone's upset, you can say, "Tell me more," right? 
Absolutely. And we see that in family conflicts um, that someone says that the other person calms down right away. But in the workplace, in communities and even in political discussions. Yeah. How about that? Sounds frustrating. Yeah. People go, oh, you get it. And and they don't have to be angry anymore to get your attention. It's like, yeah, it is frustrating. And so that really calms people and feels like now you're with them. And that's the goal is create a sense of us against a problem instead of me against you. That's brilliant. Now, I had a recent experience where uh, I was on the phone with customer service. And I had a complaint and it was legitimate. I wasn't being high conflict. <laughs> I, I was, I, I uh, was trying to go on vacation and I wanted this country to let me in, but they wouldn't. <laughs> so I was trying to find out why. And they just kept repeating over and over. That sounds frustrating. That sounds frustrating. So they learned, they knew to use, you know, an ear statement. But what I found, um, in those conversations is that if you repeat it too much, it might make the person a little more upset because they just kept saying the same thing over and over. Yeah, I think they get the mess. You get the message. It's just words. It's not sincere. And and that's why you can't just repeat an ear statement. You've got to to move on and show interest in working on the problem. So basically, ear is is a calmer and opens, the way I like to look at it is it really opens the door to whatever you're trying to get done, right? Absolutely. I think that's a really good way to think about it. And then go on to problem solving. Okay. Now back to the sister wife scenario, you know, the wife, Christine, you know, I, as I said, I've watched it for years and she wasn't showing high conflict behaviors and I, I would never even consider her to be high conflict. Uh, she was just very upset with her relationship. You know, she was sad. She was, uh, I don't know if, if she was depressed or not, but I mean, it, there was just a, a wealth of sadness over the years and, and she always put on a brave, brave face. But um, would the use of your statements by her husband, Cody, have helped their relationship, even though she wasn't high conflict? Absolutely. And I don't think of your state. We, we developed your statements about 15 years ago for high conflict situations. But what we've learned, it's for anybody who's upset at any time. And it really has so much more with being human than it does with being high conflict. So if somebody's stressed and upset, and plus we need your statements in close relationships. And I'd say a marriage, even with four wives, that those are close relationships. You got to nurture all of that. And and I think that that may be part of what the uh, husband realized. Unfortunately, it was too late. But however, let's uh, now turn to, you know, what types of difficult or or high conflict conversations people are having today, such as, you know, vaccines and masks. And, you know, you've heard them. Yeah, well, I think the, the pandemic has really made us pay a lot more attention to controversy. And frankly, I think we've spent a lot more time watching the news on TV, on Facebook, on the Internet. And so we see conflict everywhere. And the conflicts relate to the pandemic in many ways, like vaccines, like masks, like uh, after the George Floyd murder is, is 
the history of racism in the country and arguments about should we talk about that or not? Um, should children's books be censored? Protest, you know, which kind of protest is okay, which isn't? And it's not just the United States. We, we just had the, the month-long uh, truckers protest in Ottawa and Canada. What was that about? Vaccines. And so we're, we've, we've really got an, an age almost of conflict that's escalated over the last two, couple, two three years. You know, I guess the question is, can we have useful discussions about these types of issues or are we hopelessly polarized? Um, you know, just the use of, of one word. So like you, you were just saying, you know, the George Floyd murders. Now someone who doesn't believe their murders is going to instantly want to fight that, right? Yes, you can, you can actually be polarized about anything. And I want to mention in here, polarization is generally an emotional process. And so it isn't like, you know, I disagree with you on that. It's like, you, if you think that way, well, then I hate you. And so polarization. And you're wrong. And you're wrong. And it's so emotional. And that tells me we're into the area really of uh, emotional relationships and not, not really issues. Issues. And in many ways, the, the issues could be anything. Let me just throw in briefly. Some people remember in the 1960s, there was a school teacher who did an experiment with the kids and treated them differently if they had blue eyes or brown eyes. I love this study. And one day, you know, the kids with blue eyes had an advantage and the brown eyed kids had to wait and didn't have as good, uh, didn't have cups for drinking and whatever. The next day, she switched it. So everyone got to experience both roles. But it was amazing. She said, within 15 minutes, I had all these um, angry, prejudiced people. <laughs> and, and actually, I should mention that today, such an experiment would not be allowed because it actually was quite upsetting to some of the children. But that's, you can be polarized over anything. And that's, I think people don't realize, hey, we're getting emotionally hooked here. Um, this is about more than the issue. Um, it's about emotions, and we can calm each other's emotions. Yeah, it's it's so important. Uh, I've seen so many uh, people in conversations where one is shut down, um, shutting down the other beca just because they disagree. Like, we can't talk about this. I won't talk to you about this. And instead of just having a rational conversation, um, I've even had that happen to me a few times. And, you know, if you don't agree with me, then I can't talk to you. And that that's that seems kind of ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, I think we've, and, and that gets reinforced by, you see people yelling in the news, and you're not really seeing that. But I wanted to tell you and, and give you a, a quick example here. If, if people talk one-to-one, -one, they can often realize, hey, we can respect each other and still have different opinions. And that's why I, I encourage people, don't take your, your feeling about polarization from the news. The news media tells you how terribly polarized we are, and that makes you watch. And so if you go, well, let's talk one-to-one. -one. Can I give you a, an example here? Yeah. Okay, so in October 2019, 526 people were brought together 
for four days in a hotel complex in Dallas, Texas. And they wanted to see, these are a cross-section of political opinions. And by the way, this is like three or four months before COVID. And what they found is after four days, people talking one-to-one in small groups about all kinds of issues, about health care, about gun control, about politics, all of this, but without labels. And so no one was identified. They had name tags and where they were from, but they didn't say Democrat, Republican, Independent, or whatever. And after the four days, by the end of the weekend, most people hadn't changed their minds on the issues, but voters on both the left and the right had softened their positions and moved more toward the middle. They were surprised to find so much common ground with each other, and they were surprised to learn each other's stories and realize, I have a lot of empathy for this person. I can relate to that. And some of them who had differing opinions, found they liked each other and decided to stay in touch. So I tell people all the time as they were horribly polarized. And I say, I'm not so sure. Talk one-to-one to people. And I think that most polarization can be overcome. Particularly with ear statements. Yes, yes. I'm glad you mentioned that. (laughs) And there will be some people that probably um, it will be difficult, particularly a a high-conflict person. Um, It might be challenging because they have, um, you know, they're very much all or nothing. So they kind of do take sides more. So that can be trickier, but you can still use ear and just give it a try. Um, So, Bill, can let's... Talk about an example of using ear statements to calm an upsetting conversation. Yeah, so I can give you an example of two people arguing about masks in a grocery store because this is something that's come up a lot. So here's here's the example, and I want to give you the conversation and then have it see if it changes, if each person fits an ear statement into the middle of it. Someone wearing a mask, and they're coming down an aisle towards each other, okay? So the mask wearer says, don't come so close to me and my child. You should be wearing a mask. It's the state guideline. And the person without a mask says, don't tell me what I have to do. It's just a recommendation, so I don't have to wear a mask if I don't want to. Besides, it's abusive for you to require your child to wear a mask. You should remove that all at once, which because the child's right there. And the mask wearer says, now listen, buddy, don't you tell me what to do. I don't want us to die because of you. Stay away from us. You're too close. And the one without a mask says, I have a right to get my groceries off the shelf. Get out of my way. So that's that's an escalating conversation. And, and we hear about those in the news all the time. So what if one of them tried an ear statement? So here's the same scenario. Mask wearer, don't come near me and my child used to be wearing a mask. Person without a mask, don't tell me what I have to do. I don't have to wear a mask if I don't want to. Besides, it's abusive for you to require your child to wear a mask. You should remove that at once. Mask wear. Okay, look, I respect your right to not wear a mask. Just give me a minute to get my cereal and back up. And you can feel it calming there. Well, what if the other person used in your statement? Mask wearer, don't come near me and my child. You should be wearing a mask. 
one without a mask, stepping back a couple feet. Actually, the law allows me to decide for myself. However, I respect your right to wear a mask. Can you just let me in here for a second to get a box of cereal? It's right there. Mask wearer backs up. Oh, okay. So in either one person can change it with an ear statement. And I like that example because that's such a common dispute. And people feel helpless, like the other person, they can't control the other person. But you can control your own emotions and what you say. And over and over again, I've seen that calm a conversation. And I might add, I've done, I did a lot of couples therapy before I became a family lawyer and got into the high conflict stuff. And it's so common that people just don't do their part, that they expect the other person to shift the conversation. But anyone can shift a conversation. I think the burden's on all of us to give that a try. Uh, so true, Bill. <laughs> uh, it, it's, it's such a simple thing to do, give an ear statement. Tell me more. That sounds hard. That's really frustrating, I bet. Um, but it I guess we have a selfish interest and um, maybe we're right fighters or maybe we're worn out, um, you know, tired, stressed out, which, you know, the pandemic and the political environment the last couple of years have, have put all of us in a higher state of anxiety or most of us. So it requires a higher level of discipline and, and thought. And I think that's what a lot of people aren't doing. They're really succumbing to the anxiety instead of saying, oh, I, I might have to, you know, be a little bit better prepared when I go to the grocery store because there might be a lot of other anxious people there as well. Yes. And I think this, this kind of is, is a tool that anybody can use. Anybody should have. And with the book, Calming Upset People with Ear, I wrote that even with high school examples so that people can start learning how to give ear statements even at a young age. That's a great communication skill. Uh, so let's talk about using ear statements then in a different type of situation, like to calm a tense protest. I mean, we've, like you mentioned, we have the truckers in Ottawa. There have been a lot of protests in the U.S. throughout the, you know, like the Black Lives Matter movement um, in Australia the against the, the lockdowns. Those were fierce, fierce uh, battles in protest over there and all over the world, the U.K., um, Europe. What are some ear statement examples for those uh, protest type situation? Well, here's here's an example, and I also have it in our book, the Calming Upset People with Ear book. And this came from a police officer I talked to who was involved with um, helping manage the protests after the George Floyd um, murder. And so he said that at one point, protesters were on a highway, went up on a highway and were backing up traffic uh, two or three miles. And so there's the police kind of 50 yards, like half a football field away on the highway from the protesters. I guess there was a few hundred protesters there. And this is the kind of situation that was very tense and in the news. But in this particular case, the, the officer I talked to said, we, we have someone in our 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 division that's really good at talking to people in conflicts. So what he said is this officer walked individually over to the group sitting down on the freeway. 
said, can you show me who one of the leaders is for this march? And several protesters pointed to the same man nearby. So the officer said, are you one of the leaders of the march? And he says, I am. I guess there are a few leaders. And the officer says, you've gotten quite a lot of publicity for your march. TV, news cameras, even a helicopter's covering this. I have to admit, it's pretty impressive. That's respect, right? The leader, yes, it's time that racial injustice gets the attention it deserves. We just want to peacefully protest what's happening in this nation. And the officer says, well, we also want to help keep things peaceful. Since you've gotten a lot of great attention to your cause, I want to suggest that now is perfect time to start moving off the freeway. We have several miles of rush hour traffic backed up now, and those people are going to start getting very cranky with your group and your cause if they can't get home to their families. It would probably help your cause more now that you've gotten lots of news coverage to just go home. Drivers be much more sympathetic if this can end now. It's gotten pretty violent in other cities, and we hope to avoid that here. What do you say? Leader says, let me discuss it discuss it with our leadership team. The officer returned to the ranks of the police on the freeway. Within about 10 minutes, the protesters started chanting loudly and marched off the freeway. And that's an example that you don't hear about in the news because it went very peacefully. And I thought of that with the Ottawa truckers recently and was thinking, I I wonder how much communication there was. And some situations are, of course, different. But it's an example where many times people solve things peacefully. Right. With ear statements. (laughs) With ear statements. Yeah, exactly. I've been having conversations with members of different law enforcement groups um, who have a lot of experience as we're trying to develop, as you know, Bill, a, a training for law enforcement. And, and part of it would be how to use ear, you know, it, can you ear be used um, by law enforcement? And if so, at what stage? And, you know, they have to also protect themselves in some really scary and uh, potentially fatal, deadly uh, situations. So, um, you know, kind of where we're coming to is that that ear as a de-escalation tool could be very helpful, um, whether it's in a protest or one on one, just uh, while keeping themselves safe. But to to de-escalate in that moment when someone is is very upset, if an officer observes that someone is highly emotional, uh, you know, maybe yelling, threatening, things like that, can it can it? I think an ear statement can be useful in that moment while an officer still is protecting themselves, like a, a moment of, of just stopping and saying, hey, buddy, would, you know, I, it looks like you're having a, a rough day, a pretty tough day. Um, now, I, I think um, a lot of law enforcement officers would be like, oh, that, the, even the term ear statement, they, <laughs> uh, I don't know about that. But I, I think it could be really useful. I, what do you think? Yeah. Well, what I'm thinking, I think back to work to when I worked in a psychiatric hospital with people with schizophrenia, people with head injuries, uh, people with, with substance abuse. And 
And that's one thing we learned is really empathy is so big a part. Like with someone with schizophrenia, you don't argue with them. They're having delusions and hallucinations, but you treat them with empathy because that's what they're really needing. And I think that influenced me. I, I was trained in a psychiatric hospital before coming up with ear statements, which happened during a mediation. Um, and that's where that started. But yeah, and people with head injuries have a very short fuse. So calming them with your facial expression, your hand gestures, your tone of voice really makes a huge difference. And today there's so many people with mental health problems that it's important for anyone in a position of authority to try to convey empathy in the process of trying to get them to follow the rules or set limits or even impose consequences you can do that with ear statements. We teach that to judges. You know, make the decision you have to make, but, you know, present it with some empathy and understanding. It's going to be hard, but that's the decision I have to make. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, let's let's go to a listener question. And this comes from Amanda in Australia, who says, uh, we love your work here in Australia. And would like to ask the following question. How can a parent who is being alienated from their children better handle their communications and their situation when they're dealing with a high-conflict personality uh, parent who potentially has a high-conflict personality? So how could, in other words, how could ear be useful or can it be useful? Oh, I think so. Absolutely. And I think one of the problems we see in alienation cases where one child resists or refuses to have contact with the other parent in a divorce is they've absorbed the emotions usually of one of the parents. And so they that's the favored parent. They've absorbed that parent's emotions. They repeat the same words, but they deny their influence by that. But the other parent when when let's say the rejected parent um has contact or communication with the favored parent that they're often really angry it's like what are you doing here you're preventing contact you're influencing our child all of these terrible things and they tend to get into anger which pushes that parent farther away makes them more upset which their upset bleeds over to the child and makes it worse so if a parent can and it's not easy i understand this is hard is say you know, I, I know you're upset, I know you're concerned, whatever. Here's what we need to do, or here's what I want us to do. Here's my proposal. Or mostly, we need to get ourselves to some kind of family counseling that includes everybody to learn the same skills of communication. And so you can use ear statements to calm, perhaps, that other parent say, I respect you. Or maybe you heard that they got a new job. That's great. Congratulations on that. The more that you can be empathetic with a high conflict person, the more you have a chance to calm the situation and maybe solve some problems and maybe help the child kind of get back on their feet again in their relationship with both parents. 
I, oh, let me add, family members are often impacted by alienation as well. So there's a rejected parent, and often their parents, the grandparents, also get rejected. And sometimes the family pet gets rejected. It is a complex emotional situation, but it's usually driven from my experience, from the high conflict emotions of the favored parent. And so grandparents also try not to get angry at that person, show empathy for them, show interest in them, pay attention to them. Because often we see there's this whole family, like you said, tribal warfare, tribal conflict. And if the more people that can use their statements, the calmer it will all be. All right. Well, I think we've done uh, quite a bit about ear, and I hope our listeners heard, had listened with their ear (laughs) about ear. (laughs) So um, you'll find a link to Bill's book, Calming Upset People with Ear, um, in the show notes, along with some articles and links to uh, some courses. Now, you'll want to listen in next week when we have a a special guest, uh, Dr. Jay Lieberman, a retired podiatrist who was diagnosed late in life with bipolar, um, which eventually tanked his career and and really was hard on family relationships. So uh, he has a very interesting perspective, and he's willing to share his his story from the inside out, which is kind of rare, and he's, he's very transparent about all of the impacts of some extreme behaviors, uh, what they did to his life. But he's doing great now, and he's going to share that story, and you won't want to miss it. And and we'll also talk about, you know, is that high conflict or, or not? So send any questions you have to podcast at highconflictinstitute.com or submit them to highconflictinstitute.com slash podcast. And tell all your friends about us, and we'd be grateful if you leave us a review wherever you listen to our podcast. Until next week, have a great week and keep learning about high conflict behavior so you can avoid it or manage it in your life. It's All Your Fault is a production of True Story FM. Engineering by Andy Nelson. Music by Wolf Samuels, John Coggins, and Ziv Moran. Find the show, show notes, and transcripts at truestory.fm or highconflictinstitute.com slash podcast. If your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, please consider doing that for our show. Our show.